What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Tier 1 Podcast. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dan, who... Well, it was a bit of a strange episode because we had to really work our way around discussing his uh, employment because we can't talk about what he does due to the social guidelines he has to follow around his work. Um, but we talked a lot about jiu-jitsu, talked about his recent diagnosis of having uh, diabetes and how he's finding life working around that and his kind of future. And we had a great conversation. Uh, if you want to support the show, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. All the links you need will be in the description. So without any further ado, here's Dan. Okay, Dan, welcome to the Tier 1 Podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing your time with me on this Sunday morning. Thanks for having me. It's all good, man. So uh, just as a, as we talked about just now, I wanted to, on the front end, mention that due to Dan's work, we can't uh, identify him and kind of what he does for work. So there might be points in this podcast where it, the pace seems a bit strange and we have to maybe edit things out or Dan might just bring it, but he can't talk about something, which is fine. I'm just going to try and work around that. So um, if it just sounds a bit strange or awkward at any point, <laughs> that's why we're just trying to uh, uh, skirt away around any uh, issues that we can't talk about. But there's still lots for us to talk about. And as almost always, I just wanted to start with kind of where you're from and, and how you grew up. Sure. So, did you, were you born here in Sydney? No, no. I, I was born in Coffs Harbour. Um, yeah, born and grew up in Coffs Harbour. Um, parents still have the house that I was born in. Um, in It's called Tormina now, but it used to be Balden. Um, but it's very close to Sawtell, if anyone's aware of sort of the mid-north coast. Sawtell's kind of a nice little beachy town. Um, yeah, pretty average upbringing. Like my auntie owned a, a, a fairly large property out in Friday's Creek, which is close by, um, near Narda Glen where Russell Crowe lives, if any, <laughs> everyone knows him. Um, and we spent a lot of our time up there. So, um, what's Coffs Harbour like for like someone that's never been or might not, not might not know? Is it like a big? Is it more of a city? Is it town? Is it like what? It's it's large. I, I don't know off the top of my head how many people we've got, but it, it sort of markets itself as like a, a holiday destination. Um, it's it's got the best of both worlds as far as I can see. It's got like you know mountains. It's got like farmland around and behind that, and also everything backs. It's it's almost where the mountains meet the the ocean. You know, so you've right. got the ocean real close to most mountains, and everything's pretty close by. Um, some really nice little towns on the way out, like you've got Wagoga, um, which is has a large Indian population and a lot of like. Well, it used to be banana farmers and stuff. Now I think that's changed with the climate. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of big holiday resorts. It's Pacific Bay and all that sort of stuff. And I I see all the time friends and uh, from here in Sydney go there for holidays and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a good place to get away. So were you quite an outdoorsy kid growing up? Um, I was originally like you know typical uh, '80s kid growing up. You know, playing in the streets with the neighbours and and whatnot, and out past dinner time we were lucky we that where we lived there was a national park across the road so we used to always go riding after school or on the weekends into there and go fishing and just sort of mucking around but um you know at some stage i got into video games and then trans <laughs> transitioned into being a bit more indoorsy but yeah and uh what were you like at school were you kind of a, a good kid or mm. did you always get good grades or did you no i i, I think at school it was more of a social thing for me um even 
you know, I, I went to a place called Mary Helper Christians in Coffs uh, and then from there went to a place called John Paul College. Uh, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't say my grades were good. Uh, even even going through to year 11 and 12, like I still did okay, but it wasn't anything exciting. I wouldn't say that I tried, to be honest. Um, year 11 and 12, you know, when people are starting to choose, I don't know what it's called now, what's that... Um, the, uh, the score that you're trying to get to get into uni, ATARs and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I think it's different uh, across yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I ended up choosing more um, top topic, vet topics. So they call it like topics that, you know, assist in getting apprenticeships in workplaces. So I looked at more hospitality mm. uh, and physical education and that sort of stuff and steered away from, you know, the typical sciences and maths and stuff that, I don't know, I, I, I knew that I wasn't into mm. and knew that I'd be wasting my time trying to trying to study those sort of things. So, What did your uh, parents do while you were growing up? My dad's a uh, engineer at the local council. Uh, he'd been working there ever since I was born. He's, he's done that his whole life pretty much. Um, right. He's, yeah, been there for a long time. And my mum was a mostly a stay-at-home mum that did some work um, at like a netball centre in, in town. She like ran some comps and, you know, did some work here and there. And did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to be when you when you uh, grew up? Yeah, yeah. So like as as you were saying before, I can't really mention too much about what I do, but um, we had people in our family that were in that line of work and I sort of grew up idolising those people. Like mm. my mum's brother had been in that particular line of work and used to come and visit and let us play around with some equipment and stuff like that. And I, I, ju I just guess in the back of my mind, I always knew I'd go down that line no matter what I did preceding that. So yeah, not only did mum's brother, but my, my dad's sister, well, my uncle, other uncle, my dad's sister married uh, uh, a person in that line of work as well. So it, it, I, I sort of grew up idolising those sort of guys. Yeah, so, so um, he's in the family kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We had people in our family and it sort of just made me, I, I never wanted to be a guy that was just, you know, in, a, in an office the whole time. I wanted to do something that I felt like was helping in some mm. sort of way and you know a lot of people talk about um being at work and having a um like a work identity and um their contribution to society it's not just going to to work and getting a paycheck and going home um i wanted to do a job where you know i'm still getting a paycheck and going home but felt like i'm actually helping someone at the same time right so uh you grew up and how how soon after um like leaving high school, did you end up kind of falling into your line of work? Um, it was a few years, actually. I, I actually started, as I was saying before, I, I was doing uh, hospitality and stuff in high school to get a vet topics and whatnot. And I, I left school and did a hospitality management diploma at the local TAFE. And from there, I did some work experience at some hotels and, mm. and stuff like that. And I, I realized pretty soon after that that I, hospitality wasn't something that I was interested in. Right. Did you kind of do that because you felt like you needed to mature or did you just before you went on to do what you wanted to do or um, what was the thought process behind it? Yeah, I, I think also it's just like the, the entry criteria. I don't think I was 100% clear about what the entry criteria was and I, I believed that I needed something more than what I had from my year 12 passing. Mm. Uh, so I thought if I got some more experience doing 
you know, extracurricular sort of study, uh, it may assist me. And while I was doing that, I was like volunteering for like the rural fire service and, and whatnot and doing some volunteer work around here and there just to sort of build up my resume. Cause right. you know, as most kids coming out of year 12, you don't really have much of a resume other than working at Maccas or something, <laughs> which is what I was originally doing, you know? Right. <clears throat> and, uh, so, uh, this time you were still in Coffs Hub. Yep. Yep. So I, I spent, um, you know, most of my time in Coffs, I had never moved anywhere else. I'd always lived with mum and dad at home. Um, we always had Sydney, uh, sorry, uh, family here in Sydney. So I, I knew, you know, like Carring Bar and Sutherland side of Sydney fairly well, but had no idea about anywhere else. Right. Um, it was only when I joined, um, when I was about 23, um, that, that, yeah, I had some sort of idea of what was outside Coffs Harbour, you know. So you're about 23 when you went into kind of yeah. rural now, and yep. um, I guess looking back, how do you feel? Or how about what would be like one you know, general kind of piece of advice you would like to have given that 23 year old? Um, the way I went through my career, uh, I would have given myself more time to mature. Um, you know, I was a pretty not goofy kid, but I love to muck around and joke and, mm. you know, our family's pretty good like that. We all muck around and, <laughs> you know, give each other, um, you know, joking with each other and nothing's off limits sort of thing. Um, I, I I just think for the role that I was going to go in, I, I would have liked to have a little bit more life experience. Um, I thought I'd had it because before I'd, I'd joined, I'd been working at the the council as a labourer and I was doing some just various jobs. It was sort of like, you know, in the Great Depression, you rocked up to the gate and hope you get a bit of work, you know, like yeah. Um, we were obviously, in, when I was at council, employed by an agency and you would go to the depot and they would tell you what you're doing for the day and eventually you fall in with a crew and you just get more and more work. Uh, but Coffs Harbour's like that, you know. There's, there's, it's it's not a, t a great town for, like, careers unless you're you, – you, already in something and you transfer there with that. Mm. Um, so I was lucky to get the jobs that I did when I was younger, um, you know, working with heavy machinery, road building, you know, just general labouring for construction crews for that for the council. So um, I thought I'd had at that stage enough life experience working with like, you know, various guys from various backgrounds in that sort of work. Um, but yeah, nothing really prepares you for, for that sort of job, yeah. if that makes sense. And um were you one of the younger ones that were there when you were kind of, when you started off? Uh, in the job that I am now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there's, there's people younger. You can join from, uh, you can sign up from 18. I think when you turn 19, you can start the actual training process. Okay. So I wasn't, I, I definitely wasn't the oldest, but um, yeah, there was a couple of guys younger than us, but we were mo a lot of us were around that age, all people that have had a second wind in life and spent their whole lives in accounting or something like, you know, mm. you know, construction or something. And it's just gone, look, well, I've got the house, I've got the family. I want to do something for me and I've, I've joined that sort of line of career. So, yeah. Um, do you feel like um, you've learned a lot about, uh, I don't know, society or people? Um, I guess those are like two other ends of the spectrum, but uh, if you want to give any insights. About Since joining the job? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess with most jobs, people see 
the world from different angles and think they have uh, an individual outlook on on jobs. I'm sure with you and military, you've probably seen things and you know trained and done things that no one else has as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like big up anything I've done. It's literally went two years through just like basic training, yeah. essentially. Like, yeah, but, but you, but you still, still experience things yeah. that no one else has, yeah, you know, yeah. and and you get trained in certain things that no one else has. But um, you know, I've been in this particular line of work for almost ten years now, and I've seen you know bad things and I've seen really good things. And mm. it, it at the start, you sort of get a little bit disenfranchised with it and think that the people you're dealing with are the only people that are out there. Um, but the longer you go on, you realise that, um, you know, it's usually a very small percentage of people that you're continually dealing with. Right. Um, not, not society in general. Do you ever feel, do you, oh, have you ever become quite jaded and, and down on it or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's just that kind of line of work. I think you do, but I think it's the people you work with sort of, everyone's sort of doing and experiencing the same sort of stuff. So you're very lucky to have people that you work with that, um, you can talk to and mm. is it quite a community kind of spirit yeah. Or like yeah 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 so it's, it's the kind of job that it's very um, yeah like very, not not very enclosed like everyone has their own life and families out of work but everyone's really close mm. um, and you know very social Lo- lots of opportunity to go out and hang out and stuff out of out of work and stuff like that so that's good how old were you when you eventually started jiu-jitsu and was that your first martial art uh, I had been boxing um, before jiu-jitsu. Well, I started jiu-jitsu in 2000, the, at the start of 2013. And before that, I hadn't trained like any sort of like combat sport for probably about five years at that point. So like I was, I was yeah, I, I did amateur boxing for the PCYC in Coffs Harbour. I had a few amateur fights and really enjoyed that. It was all about like getting fit. I was quite a, like a large kid. Hmm. Uh, growing up so it was that's when i started trying to get fit and started losing weight and that was around like you know you were 11 and 12 and i think i trained another year after that and then sort of gave it away after a bad experience in one of my fights um i sort of the thing with you know the, the fight scene up that way it's like all in pubs and clubs you know real small sort of stuff but every now and then they had fights in like the cattle yards in grafton and stuff like that it was still put on like and it was still proper everyone right still had to clear their medicals and all that stuff and it was it was police well but um yeah i I rocked up thinking that you know i was fighting a particular guy and my fight didn't show up and another guy's fight didn't show up and i ended up fighting god i would have been like 17 maybe not even yeah i would have been 17 or just turned 18 and i was fighting this like 32 year old biker brawler that had like a beard and tattoos and like here i am this you know christian boy (laughs) from Coffs I'm just trying to do a bit of boxing with the PCYC, get put in the ring with him. And like, I, I had been training real hard at that stage and I had some decent technique, but it, it I, I was thrown off, you know? I was yeah. like, God, I'm fighting a man, mm. you know? I'm just a kid. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I think I got knocked down in the, the second round. I was you know, punching and jabbing him and moving around. I thought I had this and I was up on points, but yeah, I, once I got clipped, that, that, that was about it. And I think from that point on, I just went, you know, maybe boxing's not for me. You know, mm. um, so yeah, I, I I just gave up boxing for a while. And when you um, started in your kind of line of work, did you feel there was a lot of, um, uh, I guess, um, enough getting taught to you to to help you with what you were doing? Yeah, um, a lot of the stuff that we learnt at 
you know, at, at training um, was stuff that really I hadn't really considered before. Like, um, how do I say it? Like um, controlling people. Um, and, and this all comes back to jujitsu in a roundabout way, but like controlling people, um, making sure you're doing things safely, um, defending yourself against attacks like, you know, knives and guns and learning about guns and all that sort of stuff. Um, most of the stuff we did down there was focused around fitness. You know, a lot of people come out of their normal nine to five jobs and um, aren't prepared for that sort of sort of thing. Like the fitness standard isn't that high. I mean, if I can do it, anyone can. But um, but yeah, it was, it was mostly centered around like, you know, fitness and working as a team and just just learning in general self-defense when, de- when when talking to people, you know, the way you stand, the way you, you speak, um, escalations, um, you know, what, what, what options are available to you, how to use your voice, you know. A lot, we did lots of courses in like, you know, ethics and communication right, and, yeah. and, and that sort of stuff to, to try and make you a better communicator because at the end of the day, that's, you know, the start and finish of everything is, mm-hmm. is good communication. So, yeah, so. And um, what, uh, what was that kind of the catalyst for you to start jiu-jitsu? Um, it's it's something I'd, I I can't talk about too much, but it was it was a it was a workplace incident that happened, um, and it, it made me it made me realise pretty quick that I wanted to have extra training so that I wasn't I, I didn't have to rely on um, any sort of uh, weapon or any other item that I had with me at the time to, to, to control someone. I wanted to be able to do my work um, and, and rely on myself and not equipment, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I was living at the time with another guy who I worked with in, in Mascot and UFC gym opened uh, their first Sydney-based gym across, like, across the road. And um, – we went in there just to have a look around and I saw that they were starting jiu-jitsu and I'd, I'd obviously been watching, you know, UFC every now and then and, and, and sort of knew that that's, that that was a pretty cool thing to, to, to be looking into and I thought, why not, just sign up. I'll, I'll get to it after, you know, my shifts and train when I can. It's across the road, so why not? So, yeah, it was early 2013 when I first started. And did you, did you think then it would have such a big impact on your life at the time? Or was no. it just like, ah, oh, I'll just do it for a bit? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, I'll just give it a try. Like it's, it was always one of those things and it was one of those, I, I had a moment when I was living in Coffs Harbour where I was playing, I, I used to play regular touch footy comp and I was boxing at the time, I was quite fit and there was a young guy who did a lot of jiu-jitsu at a local gym in Coffs and he did a lot of no-gi stuff. And we are playing touch footy and he was quite, you know, I was older than him and he was quite a cocky young guy and he's like, I reckon I could take you sort of thing. And I was like, whatever, mate. Like, he goes, I said, what are you doing? He's like, you know, I I do jujitsu. And I'm sure like a lot of people that don't train jujitsu and a lot of people that do had this same thought that, you know, it's just a bunch of guys, sweaty guys rolling around on the floor and it seems a bit, you know, (laughs) a bit strange. Um, So I, I took him up on an offer to meet at a gym one day and he said, you can wear your gloves and I'll wear my no-gi stuff. And if you can, if you can, like, knock me down or take me out, 
um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just see how you go pretty much. Anyway, so I rock up to this gym and he, within a couple of minutes, tied me up like a pretzel and was choking me from behind and it sort of was this big revelation. I was, I was still a big guy, like I'm, I'm tall-ish uh, and, I, and he was just, he was small and fit and he just ran rings around me and it was something that I'd like never experienced before. So I always had that little thing in the back of my head that like there's something to this mm. um, and it was only until that gym opened up that I actually had the opportunity to actually train it myself. So Right. Yeah, I think everyone has that uh, kind of strange first experience with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. And how has this just happened to me? I try and explain <laughs> it to people at work all the time because they have the same thought process. They go, oh, like, I don't know if it's for me sort of mm. thing. And you just go, mate, it's 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 honestly like the most technical brain-functioning non-thug sport that I can think of. Like it's a very mental mm-hmm. sort of stimulating, mentally stimulating sport. So And um Especially, I guess, uh, with um, with when you're kind of in that kind of line of work, and you need it, it could potentially benefit you in in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, going back to that uh, that initial thing that people people have when they first do jujitsu, and you think, oh, if someone you know did that to me, I'd you know, I'd gouge them in the eye, or I'd <laughs> knee them in the balls, hundred percent. Like it wouldn't work for me. I was that guy. Yeah. I was like, I boxed, man. Yeah. Like, I, I had these amateur fights, and I'd won like some by like decent like technical knockouts or knockouts, mm-hmm. and or, or on points. I'm like, there's no way this young guy's gonna run rings around me. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd give him a, like a cheeky clip on the the chin or something, and it'd be all over. But um, yeah, like I, and you're 100 percent right. People do say that. Like you, you're at a bar and you start talking about jujitsu, and obviously people that know me know that I'm very passionate about. It. So there's no nothing hiding that I do jujitsu. It's it's everywhere, um, and they're always like, oh, if you did this to me, yeah, I, I'd, you know, I'd just push your head away, knee in the face or something like that. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, but we train against that, mate. Like we train this stuff every day, and it's it's it's. It's not like any other martial art where, like, even boxing, you have sparring, but you go a little bit easy on each other, mm. and you do bad work, bag work, pad work, lots of fitness sort of stuff. Whereas jujitsu, I think, is the only martial art that I've ever tried, and I, I think I did taekwondo for a little bit as a kid as well. But um, that I've tried where you learn the techniques and you do specific training, whatever, but then you get to go one hundred percent against each other, doing the very best you can. Mm-hmm. And see how it works, you know. Like in no other martial art can you go 100 percent against someone and yeah. then give each other a high five after and go, <laughs> "I'm going to try this again." Yeah, you can't practice your ninjutsu knife defense. No, 100%. no, no. <laughs> defense against sta- stabbing to the chest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's cool because all the stuff that doesn't work basically gets filtered out because exactly, you know, there's no there's no bullshit where it's like no. And everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah. Um, if you, you know, and as moves develop probably like every day in jiu-jitsu, mm. not, my, not by us probably. But <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning but, the basics. Yeah. <laughs> but someone's out there and then for every move that's probably made that works, well, there's, there's a hundred that I tried out and like, hey, I want to see if this kind of works. And then you're like, oh, no, it exactly. doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. And the, the good thing about the people that we train with, our coaches go, this is the move we're teaching today. It may not work for everyone, mm-hmm. but but at least you know about it sort of thing, you know. Um, my game has changed over the time and I have filtered out stuff that doesn't work for me. As I said, I'm a bigger guy. I can't do this. You know, we've got people that train here and you've had on this podcast before, Pasha and, and you know, even Ricky. Um, they're quite bendy people, flexible. They've got access to different parts of that jujitsu game that I just don't. Yeah. 
So I filter out that sort of stuff and work on stuff that works for me. Mm-hmm. And does any of it any of it have like a focus on what might help you in in real life? Did you have like a lot of thought about doing self defense stuff? Um, I think jujitsu naturally um, assists in my line of work. Mm-hmm. Like even even if you just want to go down to mentally, it's a good release. Um, it's the, the position that I'm in now is more office based, um, and you don't realise you're doing a hundred things all day, and you think, "Geez, I've had a big day, and I'm I'm stuffed." But I haven't moved from this chair. Sometimes, you know, um, jujitsu is good just to get out and not only do the physical stuff, but also break break away from that sort of corporate environment and come to a place where everyone's all in the same headspace, all wanting the same sort of thing and helping each other out. Um, you know, st- there's there's so many statistics out there that show if you're in a combative situation with someone, in no matter what scenario, whether it's a b- pub fight or a, you know, a random confrontation on the street or a mugging, it, it, I think it's something like 85% of the time it ends up on the ground. Whether you get hit there or you get tackled there or whatever, it ends up on the ground. So for me it was sort of like a, you know, 85 percent's quite a decent chunk of that percentage if it's going to end up there i want to know what i'm doing when i get there Mm. um and i i I don't think about it when i train um i training naturally just assists in that regard you know i've been in situations at at, at work where where i've definitely thought of training but not the other way around i'm focused 100 percent when i'm here um but yeah it's there was um there was a time when, uh, when I was going through training the Marines, we'd do um, the CQB stuff where mm. you're kind of clearing buildings. Yep. And there'd be this thing called the Red Man, and they'd uh, dress him up in these, yep. um, you know, full padded out so you could do whatever you want yeah. to, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd like, you know, you'd go into this room to clear it, and uh, he'd like charge at you and try and take you, take you <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if he was like unarmed and, you know, he's just kind of in this room being really aggressive, you can't really just shoot him. So no, no. So you got to, you know, but you can't just let him just stand around in this room, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So you have to kind of take him down and, and be able to, you know, pin him. And uh, it just so happened that I was the first man into this room one time, and the red man was this huge guy called uh, Vampus. <laughs> <laughs> Vampus. It yeah. sounds like what is it like Russian or he's something? Like Dutch or something? Dutch. But yeah, he, he was. Uh, he's he's a friend now. I've yeah. spoken to him for a couple of years, but. Um, he, he's like the biggest, biggest guy in the troop, yeah, but you yeah. know, he, he was that guy and, um, he's all kitted up in this gladiator, gladiator style yeah. where, so he looks even bigger. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but somehow I take him to the ground and, uh, I'll like maybe two of us take him to the ground and then I, uh, I put him into mount and I'd done like one month of jujitsu before yeah. training because, um, I'd met, um, a Marine who was a brown belt at the time okay. who invited me to come train with him. Excellent. And, uh. I'm out and I just took, I just stuck my hooks in and you know when you kind of just like uh, take your kind of knees off the floor and your hips are all just the whole yeah, pressure yeah, is on yeah, yeah, and yeah. it like if you're driving the, your hips into yeah, it. Yeah, if it's the first time you've been in that position, it's like, oh my God, I'm yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. Um, it's like, how is like, how and, is this guy doing yeah, and, this? and he yeah. hadn't done any, and I, I literally just kind of, I mean, my weapon was like slung down at this time mm. and um, I just had my hands wide. So like, you couldn't grab my hands, I, I was just floating and yeah. And um 
remember my training team like up in the rafters like looking down into the rooms and like smallest guy in the troops <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing Murphy yeah it's, um, it's, it's magical eh? yeah and I was thinking like ah oh, like I knew you had to escape from that position mm. but like, even just with the month of training that we did I mean it was just like we were probably just doing a lot of mount, yeah. mount for some reason yeah, that yeah, month yeah. I, knew, I knew if he just kind of took his leg and pushed down one of my hooks and then yep. grabbed an arm and just rolled it. like I would have gone yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you could tell like oh he doesn't know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he doesn't know the when you know you know <laughs> <laughs> and the other time um, was uh, when you are clearing rooms and, and you've um, you've got these plywood bodies a lot of the time and you're doing your mock dead checks and you've got to go into neon belly and, and you've got your, your muzzle on the chest and yep. then you're doing like the eye gouge check if yeah I go and check and make sure they're dead. Yep, yep. And that neon belly position, it seemed like, oh, this is actually. I remember like doing. I remember the first time someone put me on neon belly, <laughs> and it was a big, big guy who's actually just moved out to Tasmania. Uh, he was a secondary black belt under Victor Estima. Okay. And um, I remember the first time it, uh, he put me in neon belly. I thought, oh my god! Yeah. And I knew like it wasn't any submission, so I was like, there's no way I'm going to tap. But <laughs> but I definitely wanted to tap. <laughs> but if you were dead, you wouldn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I remember like this, the train team because obviously all they'd all you know come back from tours of Afghanistan yeah. and stuff like this. Yeah, We've yeah, seen yeah. a lot of combat. Um, they were saying like you know when you when you're fighting these people. Loads of them were like hopped up on opioids and stuff, and like yeah. just shooting them might not just no. take them out. Like it, exactly, it's um, when people on that kind of drugs and stuff, yeah, weird stuff happens. Yeah, oh, it's <laughs> exactly a perfect example is that um, guy. Oh god, I can't remember how long ago. It might be six months ago now, or it might be three. But remember outside Penrith Police Station, I think he he was confronted by some cops and they ended up shooting him. I think that's still going on now, mm. so I won't talk about it too much. But um, he he continued to walk forward after being shot. And I think people just think it's like the movies, like, you know, you, you shoot once and, and they'd fall down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like exactly what you said, or even like drugs, opiates, um, even that video highlights that that's not the, it, it not, it's not the be all and end all. It's not going to be the full stop. Like sometimes, you know, yeah. you need to have something else. Yeah. Uh, the point of me telling that story though, I guess was like, even now in jiu-jitsu, um, I still try and focus a lot on, um, I do really like a lot of the wrestling, like from stand-up, mm -hmm. and, and I try, I don't, it, it'll be very rare for me to you know, um, start and try and play guard, like I'll always try and take the top position, yep. um, unless like I'm doing quite well, and then I'll just be like, oh, let's play some yeah. some fun guards, like lasso yeah, yeah. guard or something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see what happens and do some <laughs> inverting and stuff. Um, but I'll always try to take top position, pass guard and try to get to, like, I won't even hold side control for very long. I'll, I'll try get to neon belly or north south as quick as I can. Yep. And I, even, even though, um, like I mentioned in that story that mount seemed to be quite an effective position for me. Like when you're against bigger people that know how to escape mount as a smaller person, sometimes mount isn't the best place to no. be. Um, I know Felipe quite likes it cause he's quite good at taking the back but I'm not very good at taking the back. So I usually prefer a north-south position. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, it's definitely my weakest spot. Mm -hmm. Like I get to mount and unless I'm trying to bait someone into turning to the side and exposing their opposite arm for maybe a Kimura or a, a lock of some sort, I'd, I don't have a lot of success from mount. Mm -hmm. It's a good controlling position and obviously competing, it's good for points, but um, yeah, I, I, I need to really work on some submissions from there. Like you got your cross collars and stuff, but obviously you know that that leaves you open for 
you know, yeah. uh, bucks and rolls and. I think it's like a weird, um, uh, weird position where everyone knows like it's a really powerful position. Mm. So everyone that trains works escapes <laughs> yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, so like yeah, yeah. I've got. Uh, like I've worked mountain escapes a lot. Like yep. it, on, if I think about all the escapes I've worked, you know, mountain is probably the number one position I've worked from yep. escapes yep. more than like back or probably even even side control or you know any kind of pin position. Yeah, um, mount is. I've got like maybe three like mountain escapes that work for me like really well. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I don't even get too worried when I'm in Mount now. <laughs> like now. Yeah. Like, well, it's it's sort of like the day one thing. They go, this is where you want to be, isn't it? And mm. and throughout your jiu-jitsu career, most of the moves that they teach you, you know, passing guard, you end up trying to get to a mount position. So exact same as you. Like I, I love working escape. Sometimes I want people to mount me because I know exactly what I want to do next. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those positions that um, it, it's just I, I think because – everyone knows a good escape from mount you, mm. it's not the again the be all and end all position where you just go well i'm in mount i'm going to do this sort of thing it's, it's so hard i think i remember uh, john Danaher talking about kind of the different kind of pins mm. and like you're saying that um mount's good but you've also got uh you know two sides that they can escape from yeah and whereas like side control can sometimes be seem like more hard difficult to escape because yep. there's really only kind of one side you can escape from and one side where they can take you back exactly yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um, and side control is that position too where you've you've as the attacker have got three or four options on how to control someone you know we call yep. it side control one two and three mm-hmm. but you know you've got the the sit through and you've got you know on your knees and then facing the other way yeah um one of the reasons I like um, Neon Belly from a self-defense perspective as well is um, you've got a lot of spatial awareness. You, yes. you don't, you're not, sometimes when you're in mount and like, like I was saying with the Van Poos story, you know, I've got my hands out, which means my head is quite close to his head yeah. um, or above his head, which means like, I can't really tell what's going around, yeah. around me. Yeah, exactly. But in Neon Belly, like you can like, keep spatial awareness. Disengage you quickly. Disengage quickly yep. or you can transition to mount quickly. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah. I don't know. It's a position like I work on a lot. Yeah, uh, you've got to kill a knee on belly. I've I've experienced your <laughs> knee on belly. But the thing is, like it's uh, developed because I was asking again my uh, professor at the time, the guy that's moved up to Taz, like oh, I want to because he had a really he worked in um like, uh, he was in the army for a while and then went into law enforcement and this kind of thing. Okay, and he had a really good knee on belly. So I was, I was like an early kind of white belt. I was like, I really want to develop a knee on belly game. He's like, well, it's going to be quite difficult for you to develop a knee on belly game that's similar to my knee on belly game because I have like a very much a pressure kind of knee on belly game yeah, where okay. he sticks it in he's yeah, got yeah. the collar and the knee and he's Pulls like squeezing yeah. and then you're gonna because it's so much pressure you're gonna make mistakes like he's gonna capitalize on like and he's like that might not be the knee on belly game that you want to develop maybe you want to develop something else mm. like a, um, a transitional knee on belly game where you know you're moving to switching sides so yeah. much that uh, people don't know what's gonna happen and they're yeah. gonna make mistakes that way and sort of flopping around yeah. underneath you. Yeah. So, um, so then I was like, oh, there's more than one knee on belly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just sticking this into his chest. Yeah. I was like, come oh, on. So, yeah. Um, was there any, like, what, what's your kind of game? Like, what, what, how's, and how's it developed? Cause you've been doing jujitsu a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've only just got purple. I still don't feel like I'm there yet. But, um, you know, my game originally was just like using my weight. It was a lot of pressure based forcing the position uh, against people. My game now, I'm starting to try and be a bit more technical and use my size secondary. 
And I, I think that's just a natural progression in jiu-jitsu. You, f- you feel like, you know, you can do those positions if you want to force it uh, against a, a lower belt. But I think you eventually go, look, I, I know I can do that if I want to. I want to get into other positions that I, I won't be relying on my weight or, you know, if you verse a guy that is bigger than you, it's not going to work. So you, you need to have some technicality to your positions. I've been working... Uh, same as Ricky, a lot of lapel stuff lately. Um, mm-hmm. I subscribe to that Keenan Cornelius encyclopedia, the lapel encyclopedia, and been studying that. And I think that that feels like I'm cheating at the moment. Like it, a lot of people just get tied up with that and and, and sort of stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you watch a lot of Gracie Barra guys, like even like Dave Willis. He's really good with his lapel games and stuff like that. And he posts videos online. And you just go look. It just looks so smooth and. It sort of feels like it. It feels like I'm cheating. Like it, it just a lot of people just have no idea what it's doing or or the positions you can go from there. And, and once you tie someone up, they sort of just freeze. So uh, I've been working a lot on that. I mean, I should I should also be working a lot more on the fundamentals still and getting better at that. But I think I've jumped ahead to to a game that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, well, um, it's like it's strange dichotomy. I guess you got to like have really good fundamentals, but then like if you don't learn this new stuff. Yeah, you'll fall behind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that with like, you know, footlocks, you know, um, mm. I, I obviously can do them and I can set them up, but there's people in, even in just our gym that really like no gi games and just have focused their whole training from white belt all the way up to, I think, blues and purples now just doing footlocks. And those yeah. guys are killer. And like as a purple belt, I know it's not about ego or anything like that, but when you're versing people like that, you go, I have a hole in my game that I really need to fill. Um, I, I should focus some more time on that. But. Yeah. But I guess it's just, um, I think people might get down on people like, oh, you just do footlocks. Oh, you just play lapel. But then, like, if you look at me, like, I just play neon belly. Yeah. <laughs> like, but whatever like, works yeah. for you yeah. works, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, and, and once you get into a groove of a game, like, I, I went through a period where I could get, like, switch arm bars from, like, anywhere, you know, right. just for no reason. I, I try it now and I just go, I, I don't know, <laughs> like, I just yeah. mix myself up. But, um, yeah, it's just whatever works for you at the time mm-hmm. is is what's good for your game. I think like it's a, I think it's as easy as that. Like yeah, it, I was thinking um, we should talk more about that, but for some reason it came into my head again. I was thinking the other day, it was like if I just dev- devoted as much time as I do in jujitsu into literally any other thing, <laughs> like if I was trying to learn a language yeah, or yeah. you know get a degree or something, yeah. like I'd be crushing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I could do, yeah, 100%. I've thought of the same thing as well, but it's I, I don't, I'd get bored. And I think jujitsu, you know, it attracts females as well. And it's not a sexist thing, but um, it, it there's something like fundamental and raw and almost like, I don't know, like in your DNA for a guy to want to mm-hmm. learn combat sort of stuff. So it's a, you know, I think we're naturally drawn to that sort of stuff yeah. as, as guys and especially people that work in sort of industries that rely on it. But it, it's it, it's great for fitness. It's it's great to detach. It's great to come here. Um, yeah, it's it, – it, it's, I, I don't think the time that I spend here I, I, I'd want to spend anywhere else. Like I'm – they go, oh, my girlfriend have said it before, like if you spent time doing this, doing something else with the time you spent at Jiu-Jitsu, you'd be, you'd be smashing it, exactly what you said. But, um, you know, I don't want to spend my time doing yeah. that other stuff. Yeah, we need to make other stuff as fun as doing Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then people, they like learning Japanese. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> Can I choke astrophysics? <laughs> you are right, there's something like so uh, kind of primal and I guess very tribal as well, you mm. know, of Jiu-Jitsu. And 
remember that the guy who was the um, Marine and, and Brown Belt at the time, is Black Belt now, but he was telling me like when I was leaving the Marines, like, oh, I got to come back to Jiu-Jitsu because it's like the closest thing you'll find to have been, been in the Marines. Yep. Because especially at like Gracie Baja where we're all wearing the same uniform. Yeah. Yep. We've got a very disciplined structure and it's yes. a lot of respect and yes. it's a hierarchy and, and which I like. Yeah. I, and I, I like that. I like the, you, you, I, and you need the curriculum too. I think, I, I think it, that helps. Yeah. yeah. I, I am, uh, I am more pro on the curriculum now than I think I've ever been. Yeah. And I think that's from working here and kind of understanding, uh, understanding it more. Mm. Uh, whereas before I was, uh, kind of down on it because I would like because I had you know so much faith in my instructors and stuff that I'm like oh well you just teach me whatever yeah like you want to teach me mm-hmm. but I understand for it from kind of the instructor's perspective now like if I just teach you whatever I want to teach you then you're not going to have a, a fully rounded game no. and you're going to end up just being like a you know a version of me with less time of training yeah exactly whereas um, if we follow this curriculum it's going to give you the kind of fundamentals and the and the concepts so you can go ahead and develop your own game in the future. Yeah. It sort of steps and builds on it, doesn't it? Mm. Um, I was the same. I, I didn't know if I liked that. I, I used to like just coming into class and the, 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 the coach like, oh, we're just doing this today because it's cool. Or, yeah. Um, the, the, cur- the curriculum, sometimes you're doing – like I still come to fundamentals class because, you know, you can never have enough fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still come along and, and still learning things, you know, as a purple belt. So the curriculum, I think, has help, helped me be better at jiu-jitsu because I'm sort of building on things. And and sometimes people, like, miss a part, like a basic fundamental part of their game but are too afraid to, like, sort of go back to that sort of yeah, thing. And they just think, oh, well, I should know this, so I'm just not going to bring it up and just keep going. Whereas with a curriculum, you're sort of forced to make sure that you have that and you train that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a big uh, important point as well. When because because uh, at some point you're progressing. Oh, now you're a blue belt. Yeah, but you yeah. don't know this thing very well, uh-huh. and, and white belts are going to mess you up with it. Well, that's and, what I feel yeah. like with the, the footlocks, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then uh, you're like, oh well, I don't want to do this because I'm going to have an ego check. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to tap to this, you know. Um, which is, I guess, how you just grow as a person as well, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, to your point of doing the fundamentals classes, like there's that old saying, like it's not practice makes perfect it's perfect practice makes perfect yeah and yeah, you yeah, know yeah. practice perfectly when you're you know you're two strike white belt and you're kind of seeing this technique for the first time exactly but when you're later on i'm sure when you're like now you're a purple belt and you'll see the the seven details that the coach doesn't tell you about in the technique yep. because it doesn't want to overwhelm yep. you and now it's time like you've got to make sure you're and then you're taking the taking mount and instead of just stepping over to mount, you're making sure that knee slides up into exactly. the armpit so they can't exactly. get the half guard. Yep, yep. And then you're making sure those feet are curled into the hips so exactly. they can't yeah, so trap up the foot and all that you, stuff. When, when you get to, you know, purple belts, the coach sort of like rely, like is in a fundamental class will rely on the upper belts to sort of help teach the, mm-hmm. the newer guys. And I think that teaching makes you better. Um You're not only just doing the technique like you, you always had been doing, but you, you're actually trying to, teach someone how to do the technique and what has worked for you because you've been doing it as well before like the technique is this but i do it like this because of this you know sometimes that helps too yeah and um every it comes back to everyone has their own own style and stuff like that and when you know a technique and you've seen a technique before but you come back and look at it through fresh eyes um as a like a purple belt or something you can add a bit of something to it because 
you are thinking ahead and attaching it to another move that you want to get to or something like that. And that's when you start chaining things together and I think becoming a better practitioner. But yeah, I still think fundamentals is really important. Mm -hmm. A lot of people jump as soon as they get like blue and they want to start doing, um, you know, the advanced class, which is good because you need to know, you you don't know what you don't know. So you want to learn as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting caught out, but the fundamentals I think is really important still too. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a tough one because you want to try and do all the flashy stuff. You yeah. want to do the cool barambolos and get the highlight reels, like yeah, take, yeah, yeah. back takes and stuff. But um, I don't know. For me, I'm like just super happy just working on, on yeah. the basic stuff. And yeah. I, I do want to develop like a leg lock game and, and this kind of stuff. Because especially being a smaller person, mm-hmm. it's, it's often kind of a, a good game to have. Yeah. Um, but generally, I just I just find training because I like it being it's like creative. Yep. Um, I get to see my mates and yep. have, like some of my best mates have been made through jiu-jitsu 100%, now yeah i'd agree and, with that. um yeah, i guess it just comes down to that like uh like you were saying that kind of uh, whatever it is inside is that yeah that just needs the cuddle yeah the yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like i'm sure it's like it, it, yeah. like in some sort of like neanderthalic way there was like a group of men training their sons in in combat or something and they would just go out and learn that and it sort of just carried on through generations like the spartans and yeah, well, all that stuff and maybe that's a good way to kind of transition as well like in society today it seems like everything um i guess for most people in modern society at least uh, i shouldn't say so broadly everything's quite easy and mm. the things that stress most people out shouldn't necessarily stress most people out for yeah. instance like it was noted even here, like a few uh, a few days ago, since we started doing that morning study hall class and yep. the instructors have done like a bit more, tri- like they've had a roll or two before the kids classes start, yep. which are usually like probably the most stressful part of the day. Mm. And Saturday morning kids classes, like when they're like, yeah. it's packed, like you can't move down up and down here. Everyone's parents, there's yeah. screaming kids. Like you could just tell like the instructors are more relaxed because they've had like, a, they've had a roll. Like, yes. After you've, after you've trained, like not much kind of stresses you out no, too much. <laughs> no, uh, that helps me. I, I've always been a stress head. And I don't know if I get that from my mum because she was, I think she's a bit of a stress head too. <laughs> but um, ever ever since doing jujitsu, it sort of puts things into perspective. And I know you hear it on everywhere that, you know, once once you learn to escape a position, you, you sort of start thinking more technically about the game in general. I think that transfers over well to life. Um, you get into a rut. And most people would just sit there stressed and shut down and not really know what to do. But mm. you, you're always in jujitsu. You, you know that there's an escape, so you start thinking about what else can I do to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and st- stress definitely goes down after a roll. That's for sure. Kind of like in that same vein of like frame of reference, and and going back kind of slightly to your to your role. Do you feel? Um, now just in life you have a different frame of reference for what's difficult or what's stressful or yeah i I mean i i still get stressed lately but mostly my stress lately is health related but Mm. um the 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 stuff that i learn at jujitsu makes you a more confident worker and i think with that confidence and knowing what your abilities are and aren't uh, you, you're just less stress in general um even like workload sort of wise you you know you can only do your best and you know when you're doing your best. So like if you just do the best you can, um, there's no point in stressing. I think there's that saying that it goes, if you can fix it, fix it. If you can't, don't worry about it sort of thing. And I think that helps a lot. And I think the same in jujitsu is like um, 
I, I, I can't fix the fact that I don't have an awesome leg lock game, but I can fix it. So there's no point worrying about it just yet, you know, mm. so. Going on, uh, you mentioned you're seeing health issues. Um, mm. Talk to me a bit about that because it's kind of a, a yeah. new thing for you and I imagine it's had a massive impact on your life. Yeah, massive. Um, I'm still coming to terms with it. Um, over Christmas, I got diagnosed with type. It was a, they originally told me I was type two, uh, and then they did more tests, and it's it's a it's a form of type one diabetes called um, LADA. I think it's latent or uh, latent autoimmune disorder in adults, or something like that. They call it LADA, and basically it just means that you know my my pancreas isn't producing a lot of insulin. My body's attacking the insulin cells, so the sugar that's in my blood isn't being used for energy as more efficiently as someone else. Uh, and eventually it'll get to the point, it could be, you know, it could be six weeks, it could be a year, it could be 10 years, but eventually get to the point where my pancreas has stopped producing insulin altogether and I'll be 100% relied on injections or, a, or, or, or pumps and stuff. So, you know, it's still fairly soon, you know, I, I'm still coming to terms with that and trying to fit my old lifestyle back into that, you know, and jujitsu is a part of that. And I'm just constantly worried about, you know, is my blood glucose level too high? Is it too low? Can I drive? You know, who do I have to tell about this? Um, what can I eat? Um, I think I was telling you earlier, I went to dinner last night and it was fantastic. It was like this seven course tasting menu and it was absolutely beautiful. And the whole time I was sitting there with someone I absolutely adore, which is my girlfriend and we we're having a good chat. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I was just a little bit, off worrying about what am I eating? What's this going to do to me? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, you see all of these things on the internet and this is the biggest thing that's been worrying me is, you know, it's still so new to me, but you look up complications from diabetes and people that don't manage it well, or even people that do manage it well, that still just get sick and fall, fall out of health. But, you know, you're talking, you know, blindness, death, amputations from skin infections and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like I never thought in my life that I'd ever have to deal with something like that mm. and I'm still just coming to terms with it. So, you know, I'll do an, a night shift or something. I'll wake up and I go, am I feeling tired because I'm tired or am I feeling tired because I've got low blood blood glucose levels? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously a lifestyle change. Um, I've lost a lot of weight, which diabetes automatically does before you're diagnosed anyway. So I'm just trying to keep that weight off um, and, and just try and live a healthy life. Like I'm very lucky to have the people I have around me that are, are supportive, but um, it still doesn't stop the fact that uh, it, it's, it's massively worrying to me. And, and in a sense, I feel bad that other people out there are going through a lot harder things like cancer or you know paraplegics and stuff like that and you just go like i'm worried about injecting myself and taking a tablet now mm -hmm. which is what i do um and worried about the future of being on a pump or having to inject and measure carbohydrates with every meal and these people have it a lot worse so i feel a little bit selfish in that regard but i'm also just it just feels like a part of me's died you know the death of that part of me where i could just eat whatever i want and know that if i went to training i'd keep that weight off or that sort of thing it's sort of like i i need to make big adjustments if i want to keep living a, a happy healthy life sort of thing so yeah it's still just coming to terms with everything mm. was it hard to kind of keep the outlook of um you know i'm sure it would be very easy and and not unwarranted to kind of slip into a woe is me type mentality yeah um but how did you manage to, because it seems like you've managed at least to um, 
not do that and just be like, right, this is a new mission, uh, new, new dance coming. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it, I don't get into depressive moods about it. Um, but the thing that I've been telling myself is I cannot change this. Like with a type 2 diabetes, it, 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 you know, they say lifestyle and diet can reverse it. So people you know, get the second wind and do all that stuff and they can go into that remission-y sort of phase with mm. type 2. Uh, with type 1, I don't have a choice. Like it's my, it's an autoimmune thing. Yeah. It's not something that I've done to myself necessarily. It's it's just it is what it is and it's going to happen and it's just you, you, it's not something where you can just throw your hands up in the air and go, oh, well, I'm out sort of thing. You go, well, this is what I have to do. I've been told by the doctors this is what I have to do. Uh, nutritionist is what I have to do, so I'm just going to do the best to do that. So and just hope to God that nothing really bad happens, like mm. pretty much. <laughs> it's a tough situation like that, isn't it? Because do you ever feel like a bit? Does it make you feel helpless, or is it? Yeah, I, it's sort of an identity thing as well, and I think that comes with work. Like I always thought of myself as this big guy, bulletproof, have a decent understanding of fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, Sort of like you know, not the, the 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 teenage sense of I'm unbreakable sort of thing, but I thought I was. It's I've always said I can handle if I get stabbed or shot or something like that. I go that's external. I can't help that. Mm. But if your own body starts breaking down on itself, that's really scary. And mm. I've always said that. And then it's the same here. I still think the same thing. The scariest part is it's just happening to myself. Like it's my own body attacking my own body. And I'm like, what? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something strange feeling to go, I'm not that person that I thought I was. Mm. And and you worry about what people think of you as well. Like you go, like I have to inject insulin that lasts 24 hours or 26 hours at 10 o'clock every night because that's just the time I chose and take a tablet morning and night and sometimes you forget the tablet but you you end up going back home and getting the tablet and I just go like this is me for the rest of my life now it's just a big change to have to do something even like injections like before I didn't like needles at all Mm. and now I'm like I have to do it every night now and it's sort of like do I just put it aside and not think about it or do I embrace that this is what it is and just try and live a normal life. Like I talked to um, my auntie, uh, a step auntie, so my mum's auntie, has um, has the same thing that I've got. No, no one else in my family has diabetes except in that extended family. And she's like, I am living a healthy life. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. This isn't you. You know, you, you cannot identify yourself as a diabetic. It's just something that you are sort of thing. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to uh, – I was, I was talking to Hannah last night about it actually and we're saying it feels like there's an extra puzzle piece and I don't have a gap for it yet. Like this diabetes doesn't fit into my life just yet. I need to find room for it because I don't want to identify as that. I just want it to be something running in the background that I have to deal with myself, something I'll get into a routine with and I can just – live the life that I previously have, you know? Mm. Maybe it's a little personal, but when they told, like, what, how did, how did you get diagnosed? Like what, what happened for you to get like a checkup and stuff? So, so I was having some issues with like my old backside. I had a, like a perianal abscess when I was a kid and that got operated on. And I thought I had something similar again and mm. they operated on it and let me go and it wasn't healing and it, it started flaring up again. And I noticed that, you know, during that purple belt, 
graduation ceremony around that time i was drinking a lot of water like like i was in the middle of the desert and i had a like a canteen of water and i just could not quench my thirst and i was just constantly going to the toilet and you know they say don't use google because you know you'll think you're dying i googled the symptoms and even the stuff that i was experiencing before with the flare up in the in the backside and um it all pointed to diabetes so i Mm. took myself to the doctors and said, I want a blood test for this. And he's like, oh, I don't think you would, but we'll do it anyway. And two days later, I got a phone call while I was at home saying, get yourself to the hospital now. It's quite serious. So like a normal blood glucose level for someone would be floating around five to eight, you know, around after a meal or something like that. Mine, mine was 28. Oh, so gosh. you're talking about a high level of sugar in your blood, your body not taking it in as much. Um, and the possibilities of like you know strokes and heart attacks and, and some serious complications but yeah so that, that's that's how i was diagnosed and then it was just like sort of a whirlwind of being in hospital and tests and on drips and um i had some surgery done and yeah and it was just sort of a oh, horrible time and that was all around like the christmas time area so i just i was lucky that i was on leave from work at the time um yeah, absolutely horrible time, just the worst. But I was lucky that I had people around me that um, that I love. What was the kind of uh, initial thoughts? Did you, did you just kind of end up doing loads of research and stuff about yeah, it? Yeah, you can't help it. And that, that's what it comes back to, like you, you research diabetes and, and everything you read, even the health sites, talk about, oh, this is diabetes, this is what your body is doing and this is what you have to do to help yourself. And this is what happens when you don't look after yourself. Mm-hmm. And like even the sites, you know, I joined some groups and on Facebook and, and did some more research and, and everything is so negative. You know, people are always, like everything you read seems to be someone posting a problem about themselves. And I know that those sites are there to sort of help people and, 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 and reach out to a community, understanding people. But eventually it gets to a point where you're like, I don't want to know about this stuff, you know. Um, yeah, so it was just like, yeah, a lot of research, all that sort of stuff, a lot of doctor's appointments. I'm not the sort of guy that likes going to a doctor. Like mm. I've had a fractured elbow for like a, like four weeks before I even went to a doctor, you know, I, it, it bloody hurt, but I thought it'd just get better. And now my future is regular doctor's appointments, checkups, blood work, all that sort of stuff to make sure that I'm staying on top of this sort of thing. So that's another thing as well that I just, I just honestly just don't want to be a part of like I, I, don't, I don't want to do all that stuff like I feel like I'm busy enough with it, fitting that stuff in yeah so yeah that's a it's a tough tough transition to make mm. in your life yeah yeah and so like I'm just trying to keep regular with work and and training you know they talk about you know losing weight uh can help you become more insulin sensitive and obviously training helps that as well mm. um you know, your, your muscles suck the glucose out of your system. Um, so I'm just learning at the moment what my body reacts to and doesn't react to, what I can and can't eat. Um, you know, even like treats and stuff. I go, okay, we say we go out for dinner sometime. What can I and can't I have sort mm. of thing. But I, I t- I, I'm really worried about that future outlook of going, look, I know it might be a fair few years down the track, but – at some point I'm going to look at a piece of bread and go, that's 15 carbs and I have to inject, depending on what my ratio is, inject one unit for that piece of bread. So like, and then wait 15 minutes and then eat that piece of bread. Mm. And it's just something that 
I never thought I'd have to deal with. If I felt like something, I would just go and have it. Like if I wanted a, you know, a, a peanut butter sandwich, I'd, you just go make yourself one and you wouldn't think twice about it. But now I have to go, well, the sandwich is 15 and then the peanut butter on top of that's another like five. So I've got to, you know, measure for that and inject yourself. It's just, it's honestly a pain in the ass. Like, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where you just take it for granted until like it's not like, yeah. so available. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's just all learning at this stage. Still very new. Do you feel like, uh, you know, the Dan I'm speaking to now is quite a bit different from the um, pre-diagnosis Dan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think pre-diagnosis Dan, because I had, I, I, I've been told I had high blood glucose levels for, for a while and just obviously didn't know. Um, and that obviously makes you irritable and sleepy and, you know, you can – it just, I think it just made, it just, it gave a reason to some of my attitudes around that time, like the way I was acting and stuff mm. like that. And I think now that I've dropped down to a, a normal level, I, I feel more calm and relaxed and a little bit more me, but I just feel a bit more tired because I'm still going through that transition. But yeah, finding um, that balance. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think I was always this person, but at some stage, the blood glucose levels crept, and I, I think I, I might have become a bit more not hot-headed, but um, you know, quick to frustration. I think, and I think that didn't help. So, mm. but yeah. So it, it, I'm definitely a lot more relaxed now than I would have been probably about five weeks ago. You know. Right. Um, I guess just talking about what kind of, without kind of staying on the diabetes topic, like mm. what in the future are you looking forward to? Like anything that could be broad as you like. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really looking for, like the, the thing with this diabetes, and I didn't want to bring it back to this, but I'll, but I'll get off topic in a sec, is I, I've found a new love for being outdoors and doing stuff. Like, All right. So... Before, you know, you do your shift, you come home, you'd relax, play a bit of Xbox, go to training, you know, we'd go out and do a couple of things during the day and that'd be about it. But now I'm actively looking to do, you know, walks and like we spent a lot of time in like the Blue Mountains doing hikes and stuff like that and just getting out because the mentality of it is I'm doing stuff with people I love. Yeah. But also it's benefiting me. Your health. For my health. Yeah. So, and even at this early stage, um, you know, I've got some sort of function still. It's not as bad as what it, it will be eventually, but um, it's sort of like, oh, if we go on this beautiful hike for three hours, I don't have to worry so much about what I'm going to have for lunch. Mm. You know, not only am I like working out, but you know, it gives you, it feels like even jujitsu, it feels like it gives you just a little bit of leeway, just a yeah. little bit of leeway. And um, I'm looking forward to being outdoors more and doing more of that stuff with, with, with my loved ones. And I'm also looking forward to at some point when I feel like I'm up to it, starting to compete again. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I did a competition for, for work a couple of years ago and did okay. I went to Western Australia for that. And I think at Purple Belt, I want it to be, you know, my, my rough belt, you know, like <laughs> I, I know I'm going to get smashed and I'm going to get I, I lose. I know, I know I'm not, I don't, f I feel like sort of imposter syndrome, you know, like I don't feel like I'm at purple belt yet, but I want to earn that, you know, mm. to, to myself. I want to earn that. So like competing, training hard. Yeah. You know, do you think, need healthy. Do you think everyone gets that kind of when you're, uh, 
when you get that new belt 100%. and it's like, oh man, they've got to set my game up. A hundred percent. You know, I, I've had, to, you know, we have reasonably athletic young white belt guys here who are just naturally strong and fast, you know. Oh like, man, shout out to Jack. Shout out to Jack. That's exactly <laughs> who I'm thinking of. And like, I'm sitting here going, look, I've done jujitsu since 2013 and trained, I had a year off, in, in, a couple of years off in between, but uh, trained fairly regularly and I'd like to think that I have a decent game, but like it just sometimes you just get smashed and you just look going, <laughs> I, I, I almost like throw my belt back at the professor and just go, where's that white belt, you know? Yeah, it's never fun really, Jack. It makes you feel like you're a bigger game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Here, have my purple. Yeah, he's uh, – but he's great. He's, the thing with Jack is like he's always – like. He, yeah, he's very athletic and strong, yeah. but he's got, he's got great technique as well. 100%. I, I, I never take anything away from no, him when no, we're no, rolling no. and he taps me out and I'm like, like I'm never like... He earns it. Yeah, that's like, sure. it's never like, oh, you're really strong. Like, you kind of force that technique. Like, no, 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 he has good technique 100%. and he got that type 100%. Yeah, I think it's a cop out to say yeah. that he's just naturally strong and that that's yeah, it. No, yeah. he, he knows what he's doing too. And he and he's a great thinker as well. Mm. Like he'll he like sees a position and he'll be like he'll be like asking me. He'll like tap me with something and he'll be like, how did I tap Kyle with that? Like yeah yeah yeah. Ha- like <laughs> he had like this weird. Uh, it was on Friday, and it won't be very good for people listening, but for you. Yeah. <laughs> and my arm kind of like uh, like this with me like on my side here. Okay. And he kind of just put his weight over this arm and it's so like sort starts, of like it's like the kimura basically. But yeah. But, um, so just for yeah. anyone listening, T's got his <laughs> arm behind his back as, in like sort of a Kimura position. But yeah. um, like if you try to scratch your back but can't reach it. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. I was kind of indicating like Jack was lying over my shoulder. Yeah. And it kind of starts the Kimura. I was like, oh, tap. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't got, know that was there. I was like, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess well, if your arm gets stuck in that position. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, things you're looking forward to. Mm. Uh, there was something I was going to ask you and I slipped out my head now. <laughs> oh, do you think you'll say in your like, line of work? Like, uh, do you see you doing that for the rest of your kind of time as a working? For, for now. Mm. Um, I, I see myself doing it until I feel like I've got enough training under my belt that I, I might be able to branch off to something mm-hmm. else, you know? Let's say um, money wasn't a factor and not like you won the lottery, but you could do pretty much what you want. <laughs> um, what, what, what would you see yourself doing? God. You know, I don't think I've allowed myself to ask that question because I think it's it'd be it'd be really sad to know what you really want to do and then not be able to do it. Mm. Um, you know, if what I'm doing now is what I've always wanted to do and what I'm happy doing. But you know, Hannah and I have talked about you know moving overseas for a while mm. and when working and just I, I don't want to be I don't want to feel like I'm in that rut. You know, my my, my sister has moved overseas and done a lot of traveling and she's worked her way around doing that. And and I think she's had, by the looks of it, a more fulfilling life. She's seen and done more things than me, but I've, I've also got a good job, you know, like, and Mm -hmm. and I'm here in Sydney and I've got good friends and good family. So I feel lucky in that regard as well, but I don't want to ever feel like I'm missing out on something and I don't want to let life pass me by, especially now with the, the new diagnosis, I go, God, if it all ended tomorrow, would I be happy? And I'd probably think that, um, there's some more stuff I want to do. Mm. I think, like, uh, not to get too deep and personal, but um, almost about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, my, my brother passed away. He okay. was, Sorry to hear he that, was 24, he's my agent now. Mm. And I guess the only kind of like one of the things in the happening, I always kind of thought, um, oh man, if I, like, because I'm not, I'm, he's only a year older than me, right? Yeah. So when I was eventually 24, I was like, damn, like, 
when I got to the, yeah. the day of like his death, I was like, oh, I'm the exact same age he was now. And I'm like, I'm not Fuck. ready for this. Yeah, I? like I would have left a lot on the table, you know? 100%. Um, and that, that's like, again, without getting too deep and morbid nah. or anything, but like, it's, it's I don't want to be going out thinking like, Oh fuck! I wish I'd <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I wish yeah. I'd just done that. Oh, like you know. And I, th- I think it, it, it comes back to a lot of people are in that rut, like that mm. corporate-y sort of rut. Like I have to work so I can earn something to go and do something, and then it's too late. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to be like that. Like I was never the guy that. I was always the guy that was in trouble for having excess leave at work, you know. Like I'd never right. go and leave. Like we'd have decent days off, so we'd go and do things still. But I think everything's changed for me now and I want to take as much as possible and, and sort of have work as a means, like, you know, work is work because you have to work, not because, mm. you know, it, it is, it, oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is I don't want work to be. Be some, all end all kind yeah, of. Yeah, be like, all end all. I, I, I want to have, and, and my, my shift, my focus is shift to now. I, I've got plans of what I want to do in the future, where I want to travel to, what I want to do on like weekends or days off and all that sort of stuff. And work is just gives me the opportunity to do those things mm-hmm. instead of being like, oh, I'm working for the sake of working sort of thing. Have you traveled around a lot of Australia? Uh, not really. Like, I mean, I've, I've traveled to like, you know, country like parks. I've been to Tamworth and Dubbo and all that sort of stuff and mm. Coffs Harbour and everywhere around Coffs Harbour. I've been to Queensland and, I, you know, I've been to Western Australia and things like that. But I, I'd like to travel around Australia more. I've only been overseas twice and one of them really doesn't count. That was like the schoolies cruise and we went to like, you know, the, the islands like Isle of Pines and New Mia and New Caledonia and all okay. that sort of stuff. So it's counted as overseas but it's really just off the coast of right. Australia. <laughs> Um, and then we went to the US for a couple of weeks as well. And it just, op- the, you always get that feeling coming back from travel. I'm sure everyone's in the same boat where you're settling back into your lifestyle, going back to work and you get, you walk back into your unit and you just go, man, I just want to keep traveling. You know, mm. I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be here. Well, I, I don't know if you're big, big into films or anything, but like in, in films, they often talk about the, like a, a concept called the hero's journey where like, you know, the hero goes out, he's kind of met mentors and he's yeah. gone through adversity and he's gone, done the thing he was kind of scared to do. And, but he eventually kind of ends, ends up back where, where he, he started, was, but with like and a the different film ends. perspective. Yeah. And then you go, if I watch the film after this point, what's this guy doing? Yeah. He's got two stubbies deep watching the footy on TV. Like, yeah. Yeah. Frodo gets home and, <laughs> and they just like, yeah. his wife's what? like, you got to mow the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see Gandalf again. So <laughs> <laughs> smoke some of the old Toby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So it's just, I, I guess now I'm just looking at workers. It's there to let me raise the funds enough so I can go do the things I want to do now. Mm. I guess I, I should take the opportunity to ask, um, since while I've had kind of Australians on the podcast before, they've kind of been of different cultures as well. So I've had. Um, uh, Pasha, mm. obviously from Ukraine, but grew up in Australia. Ricky, yep. who grew up in Australia, but has got Colombian heritage. Yep. And I've had Dan Hampton, yep. uh, who's travelled all around as, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, what does it mean to kind of be Australian? Or what's like the Australian culture when you think of I know, the word Australian? What, what comes to mind? Beach, sausage sizzles, family, you know, um, I think... Australians sometimes give themselves the image of just VB and thongs and a hat and drinking culture. But to me, it's it's about 
Australia to me seems like camaraderie, you know, times at the beach, hanging with family, you know. Mm. We, we've got such a beautiful country that I think we take it for granted, you know. Um, yeah, you need to come like – Australia needs to come do like a stint in England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is it always raining? Yeah. <laughs> the, How the, can you not be depressed in England? <laughs> yeah, I um, one of the questions I sometimes ask for people that have lived in different countries or travelled a lot is like, oh, when you got to this country, was there anything that took you kind of by surprise that you didn't expect? And from the other perspective, when I got to Australia, something... Firstly, like, um, I've got family that live up in Queensland uh-huh. and, and they were like, ah, oh, oh, and it's like my mum's cousin. And, um, and she was saying like, when she got to Australia, she realized like, oh, like uh, up in Queensland, at least like a lot of these houses like don't have chimneys. Oh, that's a strange yeah. thing because like everywhere comes has a chimney cause you need a fire and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and for me it was, um, when it rained, everyone was like, Oh, it's good. We're getting some rain. Yeah. We needed it. We needed it. I'm like, what are you talking in, about? In England, it's like, still overcast and not raining and it's, it's a great like, day. Can I eat it when it rains? <laughs> like, I don't know about this needing it business. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kinda, yeah I like, kind of liked it when it was sunny, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, 100%. Like, when you talk about what I think of Australia, I can't help but think of my childhood, you know, like friends, family, beach. You know, mm. is there like a dichotomy, uh, a dichotomy between like the Australian, like such a majority of the population living on the coast, right? Mm. And then there's also like the kind of uh, outback kind of country type people. Yeah, uh, is, do they seem like the same kind of thing to you? Or would yeah, you like- I do. I like. I think. I think those country people are the lifeblood of Australia. Mm. You know, like, and and I'm sure everyone agrees. Like, you know, not a lot of people go out there. Like uh, my parents. Uh, have been to the Northern Territory and stuff a fair bit. My Hannah's brothers worked out there. Um, and it's just there's so much to this country that a lot of people haven't seen or, or, or don't want to see. But I, I think that that is what Australia is. You know, like we're, we're living on the coast, but it's such a small fringe of Australia, you know. Mm. There's so much of Australia that's just open land or like big ranches and farms and, you know, they're they're – doing their best and keeping the, the economy going, you know? Yeah. So. I'm a little disappointed in that. Um, uh, when, when I initially was like, cause after the Marines, I ended up doing a, like a sales type job mm-hmm. and, I, and I enjoyed it. But one of the favorite things I was looking forward to when I started traveling, it's like, oh, I can't wait to get to Australia and I'm going to get myself a farm job. Not because it, it qualifies me for my second year visa, but cause I want to be out there like, yeah. you know, on a horse, like that sounds like, like something I want to do. Cattle, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a little campfire, yep. listening to some John Williamson or something. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so that sounds like a good yeah, life. Yeah. Um, but then I, I don't think I'm going to get the opportunity to do it now. I think um, which is a bit of a shame because I, I really would have would have liked to do it. Mm. Um, but I can always come back to Australia. Yeah. Like even as a as like a holiday and do do that as like a. Like a volunteering type service, you 100%. know, like, uh, like like with the stuff that's going on with the bushfires now, like yep. a lot of backpackers can volunteer to yep. go help out with that. And yep. but that is obviously not by the coast. So yeah, no, um, exactly. Unfortunately, because just because of the way I need to like save money to keep traveling, like yep. I'm gonna have to find another job, and it probably isn't gonna be farm work that's at right. this point. Yeah. Um. So it's a bit of shame on that, but I think as well when I think of uh, I think of all the different 
territories in Australia. Like mm-hmm. every time I hear of like, the Northern Territory, you mentioned it's like I was like fire and brimstone, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, everything there can kill you. Like it's always <laughs> yeah, so hot. Yeah, like, yeah. That's where you get every it. town's like must be a dust steel like saloon Western like, town, like, like in the Lion King. That's yeah. where they're saying you don't go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> over there's the Northern Territory. <laughs> yeah. We you don't, don't go there, there son. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, like you know, a lot of people, you know work over there like there's mm. a lot of mining jobs and you know our military spend a lot of time in darwin and and that sort of stuff and training the northern territory there's so much out there to see and do and i think we're missing out by uh, but you're 100 right you've got this mental idea and i think you'd be probably really surprised if you went out there and you'd be like this isn't what i thought it was yeah because like going back to you as well when you feel that tribalness of jiu-jitsu mm. there is something and again like when you're doing all these more hikes and stuff yeah. around the blue mines there's just something to being like out back doors and like 100%. away from just looking at you know what's on netflix and yes and uh, you're out there and you see some some weird animal like yeah. i saw a, a, a bug i'd never seen before yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. A, a it looked like a ladybug but like fluorescent or something. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what a christmas beetle yeah. Or yeah yeah it was some kind of beetle it's like whoa and uh, i guess being in the city for the last well, the thing is, like, traveling, I've I've been, like, essentially Bangkok, Bali, and, and then um, uh, I did go to, out to Townsville and there for a short time, but then through to here in Sydney, like, yeah. I've been more in cities, and yeah. I prefer being, like, like I say, like, I would, I would prefer to be... 100%. Like, it's nice being by the beach and stuff, but sometimes it... That uh, was so hard for me coming from a place like Coffs Harbour. I mean, it's, it's not a small place by any means, but... It was five minutes to anywhere you mm. wanted to go. And in Sydney, it's, you know, yeah. four hours, you're still in Sydney, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and, and, and you've only moved 100 metres down the road because of traffic. <laughs> but, yeah, it's 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 different. Um, and I, I don't think I'll spend the rest of my career here in Sydney. Mm. I, I think I'll, I'll do what I have to do and move move somewhere. I, I, want, I want to buy a place that has a little bit of land, um, you know, in the hills somewhere and I can travel into town for, for work if I need to. Like yeah. when I don't need to sort of thing. I don't want to, I, yeah. It's it's not sort of like I don't want to be around society, but you just sort of just go, I, I, I want to get out of it, you know? Yeah, there's just some like trappings, like, you know. Yeah. You want your Amazon Prime and you want your nice Wi-Fi. You're yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a tough one, but... Was there anything kind of you, you wanted to talk about before? No, I, I mean, like the biggest thing uh, again for me is I, I apologise that I can't really talk about you know work and sort of stuff. They're pretty works pretty, um, you know, being being the job that it is, um, and especially still in it. There's certain things you can't say. You know, it's a corporate sort of environment. Um, but me, I, I was worried coming on this podcast that I wouldn't have anything to say because a lot of my life is work. Mm. Um, but you know, talking about you know the diabetes and jujitsu and my game and like I was just I'm just so happy that I've got good friends here and it's I just love the training so like it's it, it, it this podcast is definitely my this is the first time I've done something like this or even spoken at length about myself really um, besides you know the start of course like who are you where are you from like um, so Ice yeah breakers that, like, yeah that's right stuff and- <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I collect dolls. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 been good. No, I'm, I'm sorry if it's been boring to anyone else listening. No, I have a good time. We're about an hour and twenty minutes in. Did it kind of feel? Yeah, uh, no, that went um, quick. I find it I, from both. Sometimes I have people on and they feel like, oh, I've never really talked about myself like that much. Kind yeah, of, like 
for like a therapeutic in a way. Yeah, yeah, um, it sort of does a little bit, and like it, it felt more of a conversation, mm, didn't it? Yeah, it's like I think sometimes uh, people think, "Oh, I come on the podcast," and, mm. and it can sometimes seem like I'm just going to drill you with like interview questions, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'm like yeah. looking like, at your CV or your resume like here. It's I'm my like, job. Oh. Yeah. You're interviewing <laughs> <Yeah>. me, <laughs> but it's just a hangout, and like, you know, I get to. I get so much out of it, like yeah, went from like listening to people's stories and, and learning from their experiences and and just building relationships and I get to listen back and learn how I, oh how come I was so inarticulate here? Yeah, oh, I, I can't see. believe I stumbled over my words here. And it's a hard, oh, why didn't it's I a hard ask gig, this question mate. here. Like, people think that you know it's just a conversation between the two, but there's times there where I'm getting tongue tied and you're picking up the slack and stuff <laughs> like that. And it's, it's it's honestly an art. And you watch people like Joe Rogan. Mm. Just, just having everyone on, and they just, yeah. you know, it's yeah, almost crazy. like fifteen hundred episodes in, and like, uh, <gasps> I think, well, again, talking about modern society and stuff, which seems to be in theme through this. <laughs> yeah, uh, so much of the time, I'm sure you'll see, find at work it's like, oh, how are you? How are you? Weekend? Yeah, you get asked the same kind of questions. Exactly. You never really have a, and it, you've sort of already got preset an answer. Yeah. Like, you Good. know, we walk around, <laughs> like, you, you get asked by your, your bosses, like, oh, how's it going? You go, oh, yeah, kicking goals with both feet and just keep walking, you know? Like, <laughs> that's where you just keep going. Oh, yeah, plodding along. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, I found as well, like, uh, I, I do drink probably, uh, I don't know, actually, I'm going to take that back. I don't really drink very much mm-hmm. anymore as, as I used to. Like, yeah. I've never been a big drinker or anything. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I always found like I'd have way more interesting conversations with my mates on that before the night got like too rowdy the night out. And That's you go to right. The club, like just before, just you, loosened up yeah. with a couple. Yeah, I used to have a few at the bar. And you're like, oh, let's talk. We can't just yeah. sit here and just talk about how are you anymore. It's yeah, like, exactly. I've actually know. got to like, like actually talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'd have like way more interesting conversations. I was like, how can I do that without yeah. you know, having to go to the bar all the time? Because yeah. like drinking isn't. Well, I, well, I do drink if I go to a bar. Like, it's not like, my thing. Like, yeah, I don't like. No, no, I'm the same. Yeah, yeah. I've never been a big bar drinker. Like, I used to like having a few at home and stuff like that. But that that really sort of gone by the wayside now too. Mm. Saying that, I probably will have a drink today because it's the uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay oh, Wilder fight. Yeah, I of watch course. That. If my missus lets me, probably because she was a bit <laughs> upset. We, I didn't have anything planned for us to do today. I was like, well, forgot <laughs> yeah. to tell you about this fight. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and rope my parents into a pub for lunch to go watch it while uh, I'm here. Lunch, up guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, the <laughs> What a coincidence. <laughs> Dan, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for sharing, mate. Cheers, stories in time. Legend. Yeah. Cheers.